The Voice for LGBTQ plus youth and music only on Sin. This is Loud and Queer. Queer. Welcome to Loud and Queer, the voice for queer youth and music on Sin. My name is Elizabeth, my pronouns are she, her, I am bisexual and I'm coming to you on Boonarong land and I would like to acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. And hi, my name is Bailey, my pronouns are they, them, I'm bi and queer and I'm coming to you from Wamba Wamba in Parepa Parepa land and I'd like to acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded and the both of us would like to acknowledge that um, just the elders of the land, past, present and future on which uh, we're recording from and on which the Sin Studios stand, the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. If you want to get in contact with us after the show, you can check out our socials on Twitter and Instagram at SinLoud, that's at S-Y-N-Loud, or Loud and Queer on Facebook. You can also check out this podcast and any of our previous podcasts on any of your major podcast streaming services like Omi, Spotify, Stitcher or Apple Music. If you want to tune in live, you can go to 90.7 FM um, to hear us play all the fun music on a Sunday at 3pm or the Sin website, sin.org.au. Um, and if yeah, you want to check out the podcast, go to where Liz said. Uh, coming up on the show, we're going to be talking about um, just like we're going to have our regular news whip. Um, then we're going to have get into just this great little bit of women's history that we found um, talking about the Greenham Common Peace Camp. Um, then we're also going to get into a bit of a, a little more serious topic talking about the new New South Wales inquiry that's going to be going into a, a get queer hate crimes. Um, and then we're also going to have our Froth or Not for the week. Be back very soon. You're listening to Loud and Queer on Sin. regular news whip for the week yeah so um just a quick content warning Uh, most of our stories today are positive which is nice but there is a a small content warning for mentions of homophobia misogyny and bullying so um, just be wary of that the star observer reports the 68th sydney film festival will once again play host to the dendy awards for the australian short films in their 52nd year this year, among the 10 finalists is queer Sydney filmmaker Adrian Chiarella with his film Dwarf Planet. As Chiarella told Star Observer, the film is based on the short story Concealer by Andy Boham. Chiarella said, I read a short story in which... I read a short story which at the time was part of a collection of stories that had won a competition. I was drawn to it, thinking it was, thinking it was this, quite poignant, this quite poignant story told in this really fun acerbic voice. I started the process of I started the process of adaptation from there. The resulting film Dwarf Planet is a tender story which explores an encounter shared between a lonely, awkward teenager and a male sex worker on a brisk morning in suburban Sydney. Sounds really cool. I really want to see it. And congratulations, uh, Adrian Kirella. From them news, Bridget Lundy Payne, the 25-year-old actor best known for their role as Casey Gardner in Netflix's Atypical, has come out as non-binary. They shared the news in an Instagram post on November 8th saying, I'm non-binary, always felt a little bit boy, a little bit girl, a little bit neither. 
Lundy Payne wrote in the post caption that using they them as of late and it feels right scary as f to come out and been really putting this off but I feel I owe it to myself and to all of us who struggle with gender. Lundy Payne joins the small ranks of public figures who identify as non-binary including the chilling adventures of Sabrina's Lachlan Watson, the Foster's Tom Phelan, Billion's Asia Kate Dillon, uh, Queer Eye's Jonathan Van Ness, the politician's Theo Germain, singer Sam Smith, actor Amanda Stanberg, hmm. uh, rapper Angel Hayes, and one that wasn't included on this list but I would like to include is actor Liv Hewson as well, who was an Australian actor. Congratulations, Bridget. From Q News, a gay man has set his old private school blazer alight on the Oval of St. Kevin's College to protest the elite to protest the elite Catholic school's culture of misogyny and homophobia. James Robertson, who was a photographer, graduated in 2013 from the all-boys secondary school college in Melbourne. In the Instagram post, Robertson admitted breaking onto the school grounds and burning the blazer on Tuesday evening. He dedicated the photos to current students and victims of St. Kevin's and schools like it. Robertson's addressed the students who feel their identity is solely being chipped away by a hyper-masculine culture. From Pink News, an anonymous footballer has written about his bisexuality in the wake of Australian pro player Josh Cavallo proudly coming out as gay. Cavallo, 21, was praised for his courage and bravery after sharing his truth last month, becoming the only current openly gay male player playing professional top fight football. His actions have inspired another footballer to open up about his sexuality, albeit anonymously, according to Mundo Deportivo, a Spanish national sports newspaper that published a letter from the anonymous pro. From Q News, a historic piece of Brisbane Pride memorabilia has gone missing. After this year's Pride Fair Day, the Pride flag has vanished from the Fair Day site. Each year, the flag is a significant part of the Brisbane Pride March. During the rally speeches, the original flag can be seen hanging from the balcony above the crowd. As the march continue, as the march commences, a replica of the flag is carried above the crowd as thousands march underneath it up Brunswick Street. As thousands march underneath it up Brunswick Street to New Farm Park. After these years' march, the replica flag was transported to New Farm Park as usual for Pride Fair Day. From there, it was last seen outside the gates to Brisbane's Pride Fair Day on Sunday the 30th of October. Those commenting on the organisation's Facebook page say it was seen, say they saw it there as late as 4pm in the afternoon. Since then, it has not been seen. Uh, so the Brisbane Pride Festival is seeking anyone with information to contact them at, via hello at brisbanepride.org.au. Really hope they find the flag. Yeah, I hope so too. Um... I think it's a bit crap that um, someone would steal that. It's really important to preserve queer history. Yeah. So if you know where it is, take it back. Bring it back. <laughs> we're, we're queer and we're angry. <laughs> um, in other news, the New South Wales government announced an inquiry into missing queer, gay and... In other news, the New South Wales government announced an inquiry into missing gay and trans people in the 1970s and 80s, many cases of which were never solved. You can listen to that story in more detail later on the show. Um, And also, Enqueer, the Sydney Queer Writers Festival, uh, kicked off last night, and you can still get tickets at enqueer.com.au. A featured artist on it is Kaya Wilson, a writer that we interviewed on the show uh, a couple months ago now, and um, yeah, he's incredibly insightful and cool. So um, yeah, you can definitely go check that out. I love Kaya Wilson, so absolutely. 
If any of those stories caused you distress or concern, please call QLife at 1-800-184-527 or Lifeline at 131114. You can also call Kids Helpline at 1-800-55-1800. Welcome back to Loud and Queer on Sin. You just heard Now in Space by Montaigne. That's her new single that came out a couple weeks ago. So Hope you liked it. Um, share it around. And, uh, you're here with Bailey and Liz, and we're going to talk about some interesting lesbian history now. We haven't featured a lot of lesbian history on the show lately, so I'm, I'm keen for this one. Uh, Liz, do you want to take it yeah, away? Yeah, okay. So what happened was is I found out this great story where we were looking up for more getting some more stories together for the news whip and everything and this story originally like broke on pink news but they were talk the the article was reminiscing over this thing called the Greenham Common Peace Camp protest and what it was it was this huge camp that was established in the 1980s to protect protest against the government's decision to allow the US to store nuclear weapons in the UK and as like as it was it later found out and very shown it was basically considered a lesbian utopia. <laughs> basically, when very cool, I'm interested. I <laughs> <laughs> um, that's 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 like the headline to draw you in. <laughs> I'm intrigued. Um, so how did it sort of uh, start? Yeah, so what happened was is that when the it was like sort of found that the U the UK was going to be storing that well the US was going to be storing their nuclear missiles in the UK. Um, this Welsh group called Women for Life on Earth uh, set off to Greenham in this huge eight day protest against the nuclear missiles being stored in Britain. Basically, they realised as they were finishing up the march that this wasn't going to be enough. So what they decided to do was they decided to set up camp outside the the, the military base um, and it became known as the Greenham Common Peace Camp. And mm. basically thousands of women came to this protest and just came to this camp and would just basically live there. They would go with, like, mothers would bring their children there, just all sorts of people from, like, all sorts of race and ethnicities would come to this camp and just stay there just mm. as part of this huge protest and they would do... All sorts of things, just like from what it says, like in the article, they'd make posters, write songs, they'd break into the base, they'd cut holes in the fence. They even made a human change of, of around 50,000 women surrounding the entire compound. Very cool. I can't believe 50,000 women were just like outside this base and like the military couldn't get them to leave. Like, did they try and move them on or what happened? Uh, they did. The The camp itself suffered a huge amount of backlash. Um, I've got it here. Uh, yeah, it was hit with massive local and national opposition, including from the police, the Ministry of Defence, supporters of nuclear deterrence. Uh, mm. supporters of the nuclear deterrent and locals who would even refu refuse to serve the women in shops and pubs so mm. huge amount of backlash from it which they mainly talked to this one woman who the article talks about this one woman who like spoke with pink news about it named sue say who went to the um compound as well she said that she she said she planned there to go just for a weekend and she she mm. ended up staying there for two years 
and became well. a huge activist because of it. Mm. So um, how did um how do lesbians come into this? What made it so clear? Yeah, well, Sue Sue was talking about it and basically saying that how this because this camp was just basically it just became this safe space for women to co- go to and just find solace in one another. And because of that, a lot of lesbians also came to the camp finding solace in one another and mm. just finding this place where they could be themselves and like interact with other women and feel safe without having to deal with like the other the rest of society trying to silence and stifle them mm. so it just became this place where like so even quoted saying just like oh everyone was very promiscuous during the time but it was just this place where women could you know be themselves and love one another without having to deal with the rest of the world hating on them basically like obviously mm. the world was still hating on them they had this place where they could be safe and not have to deal with that constant oppression. Yeah, that's really good. Um, And, like, obviously quite an amazing thing to have built. Um, Is there any record of trans women being there as well? Um, I didn't find any in the article, but I I wouldn't be surprised if there – if, like, I wouldn't be surprised if there were. I mean, like, as a place where women were, like, able to find solace and safety, like – the idea was that everyone was coming together to fight, like, not only for, like, this important issue of being just like, hey, get rid of these nuclear weapons and everything, but, like, women were able to stay there and just feel safe. So I wouldn't be surprised if uh, trans women also went there to find safety and solace. Mm. I hope they did. I hope they could. I'm just asking because, um, I mean, as cool as this all sounds, I think there's a, a um, like, the question, I guess, is on my mind because of the time period, like the 80s when sort of um, turf rhetoric was really like finding its root and breeding. And um, I do wonder if that was something that um, came up much because I see this uh, quote saying the 80s was a time, sorry, the 80s was definitely a time when women were exploring non-monogamy. They were exploring what lesbian relationships truly meant. There were lots of women that were together who didn't have sex or who didn't believe that penetration was good or who didn't believe this or that. And I guess some of that sounds really cool, like the non-monogamy and like being to in like platonic romantic, sorry, non-sexual romantic relationships and all sorts of things like that and having that like communal like looking after one another sounds really cool but then the bit about penetration I'm like that sounds Mm. like a bit turfy (laughs) so yeah I'm sure there were like all you know with more than 50,000 people there would have been all different um interpretations but that's something I sort of like that makes me twig and be like "Mm." I hope (laughs) I hope they were inclusive but yeah it's hard to tell but like but yeah like it was really like this this march apparently went on for the longest time and mm. like obviously it went on with um and like i said before there was like a huge amount of backlash like apparently police would really frequently just go to the camp and arrest women there for like no reason mm, right shocking surprise police have been terrible the entire time <laughs> yeah they do hate women it's not just a recent occurrence mm. <laughs> yeah it's 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 a bit sad to talk, to listen to this story but what was also interesting cuz Sue is uh Sue is a black woman as she was like talking in in this and everything but talking about mm. how it also meant that like 
with all the issues going on and getting arrested and everything, she really said that the whole incident opened her eyes up to also the huge issue with race as well because she was mm-hmm. seeing like very blatantly how she and some of her friends would be treated differently to when like white women at the the camp were arrested. Mm-hmm. She had this great quote that she said it was like having the internet, but a much but much personal because you could ask a direct question and that person you were looking. And that person, you were looking them in the face, they'd tell you the answer. And just saying, like, yeah, once your eyes are open, you can't shut them again. <laughs> Which is yeah. a good quote. Yeah, that's really, um, like, the dynamics of that place must have been really fascinating because um, you'd have all these people coming for different reasons. Like, lesbians and, and people of colour, like, might have... Um, felt more free to come to a place like that because they already feel disenfranchised with like you know the nuclear family and the um, Mm. the like white standard that's set and colonization that you know affects people like across generations and so they would have already felt like they don't um, have a place in mainstream society and maybe that's why they ended up there and I think that um kind of comes out in a couple of those quotes as well that they like didn't feel um like a part of any of that um um you know the sort of like social mores that we have in like the west and and so they like found their way to this place where they could look after each other but also do something like more meaningful that was ultimately protecting like I mean the world kind of like pretty much yeah. you know it's, it's such a it's denuclearization like it was... is super important so yeah because as like she has like a bunch of quotes here being like for those women from that era to abandon their husbands and take their children with them living at a camp was a big statement it was saying mm-hmm. I'm not leaving my children with you I'm taking them with me and I'm gonna save the planet and bugger you <laughs> I love that's that. so perfect yeah mm. there's this great quote that she has here saying women suddenly realized there was something much bigger in the world than this tight little circle of a nuclear family that they weren't happy with mm. women who were lesbian back then got pushed into marriages pushed into all sorts of situations because you couldn't be because you couldn't be society didn't accept it unless they understand what it was like to be a woman back then people won't understand just how revolutionary revolutionary it really was and just how much it made men angry mm. yeah it's fa- it's fascinating like the one thing that i found really interesting as well is that this this march started in 1981 so the ca- and it went for 8 days so the camp obviously was started in 1981 as well but mm-hmm. even though like the missiles were finally taken out of the camp in 1991 the protest in the camp didn't actually end until 2000 it was up for 19 years this camp that's amazing that dedication i love it I wonder if, like, there were kids that were, like, raised there into adulthood. I wouldn't you know? be surprised. Well, like, because people might have stayed because they had nowhere to go. Yeah, well, Sue was talking about how when she went to the camp, she was 19, and, like, she's 57 now, and she stayed she stayed there for, like, two years, so she stayed there for quite a while, and, like, it shaped a whole, a huge part of, like, how she is now, and it's... Yeah, so I wouldn't be surprised mm. if, like, kids that grew up in this camp um, were able to, like, yeah, or, or would have, like, been shaped by that those events. Like, that'd be mm-hmm. really fascinating to talk with someone from that. 
Yeah, no, it would be really cool. Imagine just being raised in this like lesbian commune. Oh, oh I, that's the dream. Yeah, and like, I think it um, also shows like the kind of effectiveness. Like, again, I will say my reservations about um, about the gender stuff, no, but I like, yeah. at the same time, I think the like level of effectiveness of um, people just joining onto one cause and fighting it really hard. Like I think nowadays because of how like we are bombarded with like every problem in the world, like just through our phones every day, like that it's like paralyzing. There's no way to like feel like you're doing enough. Yeah. And I think that that it feels too, much. I admire the effectiveness and the dedication to what they did. I agree there definitely like I do wish we could learn more about this kind Mm. of stuff like even in schools and stuff like that because there's so much like women history or in queer Mm. history out there that just doesn't get covered and it would be so nice to learn more about this stuff because like seeing this article on Pink News was just kind of like oh my god yes tell me (laughs) all about the commune tell me all about this lesbian Mm. utopia like I think that's how I felt when I first came across like queer history as well it was like I was voracious for it I was like and there's still like a lot more for me to learn as well um but when I found out that it was there and that people were like putting it all together and writing it down or recording it like that just made me really proud when I found out all that because I was like yeah, we do have all this history and it's been silenced and people aren't be like, are refusing to be silenced, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's been now like 40 years since the march happened and what ended up actually happening was that a bunch of the women from the original camp and the protest, as well as like plenty of other women now, recreated that eight-day march in like September cool. or so. Just oh, like. Cool. Yeah, just to mark the anniversary of that being forty years since this protest happened, Ch- change was change was made. They they held out, and it it worked out in the end. We hope you liked it. If you know anything more about this or have other historical queer events that you want us to dive into, please um, tag us at Sinloud on Instagram or Twitter. Let us know what you're interested in hearing about, and we'll teach you all about it. Welcome, welcome back to Loud and Queer on Sin with your hosts Liz and Bailey. We're going into our next uh, free-range topic and everything, which is, as you was heard when you guys heard the news clip, if you listened to that, um, we're going to be talking about the new inquiry that is being made in New South Wales, and Bailey, I will let you take that away. Thanks. All right, so very newsy kind of show today. I hope you're <laughs> liking it. I hope you're interested. I'm really engaged with the news as a journalist, so oh, yeah. Um, but I don't get to do much reporting on queer stuff um, in my day job, so I love talking about it here. I hope that's okay. Um, but yeah, so I'll just dive in. Um, so you might have heard that um, there's been a judicial. I can't say that word, judicial inquiry into gay and transgender hate crimes between 1970 and 2010 going ahead in New South Wales. And that was approved by the New South Wales government uh, a couple days ago. 
And so the Sydney Morning Herald reported um, that the inquiry is a key recommendation of an 18-month-long parliamentary inquiry released in, in May this year. And it will have investigative powers to subpoena um, persons of interest and compel witnesses to give evidence in a court of law about these missing persons cases and these hate crimes that went unsolved. Um, Shane Mallard is the chair of the Upper House Committee on it, which undertook the parliamentary inquiry and called it a big step. He said, a judicial inquiry will have investigative powers in its examination of these hate crimes. It's time the perpetrators of hate crimes were held accountable for their actions. Um, and a principal finding of this is that the New South Wales Police Force did not do enough to investigate these crimes uh, when they happened. They didn't investigate into who went missing. Um, well, they knew who went missing, but they didn't know who um, was responsible. They didn't know how. They didn't do enough. They didn't, yeah, they didn't do enough to find people who went missing. And um, so Mr Mallard said, you know, this is a way to deliver justice. It's a step towards healing for the family and friends of those people who disappeared. Um, and he also, and um, I think what's interesting about this and what I want to get into a bit is um, the New South Wales Premier Dominic Perrottet he said, these hate crimes represent one of the darkest times in our recent history in New South Wales Parliament this week. He said they were callous, brutal and cowardly. As I said in Parliament recently, LGBTI members of our community have suffered grave injustices that were not acceptable in the past and they are not acceptable now. Where there is still work to be done to address these injustices, we will do it. So he's, um, he's for this. He's approved it. Um, and his government's approved it. And um, the reason it's been sort of pushed for um, now, 40 years after some of the, the crimes, is that there's concern of evidence um, sort of being unrecoverable if it's left unexplored too long, for instance. Mm. Witness testimony, people passing away uh, who might know something, um, but I'm not sure exactly... They didn't specify what evidence they're talking about, but that's just one of my um, concerns with with hate crimes and yeah. I guess other human rights breaches. It happens a lot where people are brought to justice when they're really old and it doesn't do a lot or they pass away during the investigation and yeah. it's just never going to actually be enough. Yeah, it's just like I'd rather them not take, if they are involved, let's not take the secret to the grave, like... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so these crimes, they peaked between the 80s and 90s um, because of the AIDS epidemic. So mm. um, gay people were obviously blamed for um, for having AIDS or, for, I don't know, for creating AIDS. Like, it, it was a mess. But, um, yeah, mess. so there was a huge stigma um, that gay people are dirty. We've all heard it before. Um and so, um, a, a little bit more background I'll just quickly give. Police investigations point to teenage gangs roaming the headlands of Bondi Beach, bashing gay men and hurling them off cliffs. Jesus. Um, so two of these murders at Bondi, or alleged murders, I'm not sure, uh, include the death of... Um, a TV weatherman and newsreader called Ross Warren and his mother is still alive and she's been pushing for this to be solved 
she wants to know what happened to her son because I believe his body was never found. Um, and he went he went missing in 1989. So <laughs> it was a series of letters by Ross Warren's mother to a police um, requesting her son formally be declared dead. That led to a police investigation in 2000 and a coronial inquest, which brought down its findings in 2005. Um, that's a pretty long wait, I believe, for yeah. a coronial inquest. Normally it's two to three years where you wait between the inquest and the findings, but I'm not sure what the, if there's much difference in Sydney. Um, mm. And so a lot of LGBT organisations have welcomed this and say it will compel judges and uh, witnesses to give evidence not only about what has occurred in relation to the crimes themselves, but also why they weren't investigated by police to the degree they needed to be. And that brings me to, like, my feelings on it, which is... Oh, yeah, go on. <laughs> um, actually, do you want to react, maybe? Do you want to, like, do you have anything to say first so that we break up, you know, me talking mm. for, like, five minutes? No, I, like, part of me is, like, like, I've got this, like, I've got the issue of just being, like, it's about time this has happened, but at the same time, mm. I just wish it happened sooner. Like, mm. I guess, like, I guess in the point, like, I can't complain, like, I'm glad that it's happening now and that hopefully we can get, fi- all the, the victims can finally get some closure. Like, mm. that'll that'll be nice. And uh, as much as I really want to see some of these, some of the policemen that have just let this happen get some justice, but given the current state of the legal system, I do not know if that's going to happen, but... Um, yeah, it's... I think we historically see police officers not be held accountable in this country, particularly with minority, um, like police violence against minorities. Mm. It's just disappointing. It's like, I guess in the simple way of saying it, it's just that I want some, like I, the most I want is just closure for the victims. I really want to see some of these policemen held accountable for not doing enough, mm. but I just sadly do not have the expectations of it and I just do not want to get my hopes up for it. Like mm. the, the most I want is just to see some, just some closure for all these poor people because that's, because I never thought I'd say I'd be agreeing with Dominic Grote, but um, like it was a horrible time and like it deserves to be properly addressed. Mm. So that's what I actually want to talk about is um, Dominic Perrottet, like, kind of taking credit for this. Yeah, yeah, that, that was the one thing. I was kind of surprised when I saw that. So we all know he's conservative Catholic. He's in the conservative uh, wing of the Liberal Party. Mm. He hasn't sort of, um, that I can see, had a stance on queer people before now. So his political positions are anti-abortion and um, anti-euthanasia, voluntary euthanasia, uh, which have both been um, coming up in New South Wales Parliament in recent years. Mm. And he has previously praised Donald Trump in a 2016 Facebook post saying... Um, his election represented, quote, a victory for people who have been taken for granted by the elites of the political establishment and that it was time for a conservative spring, end quote. So I don't feel like this man 
prioritizes Although, queer people. <laughs> there, I well, I was thinking it and everything, but again, I did, I did want to, didn't know how to say it just then, but everything. But this does not mm. feel a, by this just this is just an absolute political move. This there is no yeah. care behind this. It's it is just that whole thing of like if I start talking about this and I bring it up, then it's gonna make me look better in the eyes of the queer community. But at the same mm. time. Like, yes, it's going to bring closure to the families, which I think is, which is, as I just, was just saying, that is the most important part to me and what mm. needs to happen and everything. Because again, so, like, but at the same yeah. time, that's just, I don't see any, there's no, there's no genuine, there's no genuine feeling behind this move. And like, I can't say for sure, obviously, this is more commentary in my opinion, but mm. um, it feels like a um, love the sinner hate the sin kind mm. of energy um and and what I'm worried about is that he's done this to make himself look good to the left and he's done it to make himself look good to queer people mm. so that he he can kind of reap the benefits of that recommendation but to lay it out pretty clearly the the parliamentary inquiry finished in May the recommendation to um, send it to a judicial inquiry came like just this week so Perite wasn't the leader he wasn't involved with the committee as far as I know um, so he's just said yeah sure send it to a judge yeah he hasn't like done anything for queer people that wasn't just like a basic recommendation a problematic thing that's come up is this bill uh, introduced by One Nation into New South Wales Parliament, and we've talked about it on the show before. Mm. And it's uh, One Nation's anti discrimination amendment to the Religious Freedoms and Equality Act. So that was introduced last year, and it would basically exempt um, people who are religious uh, from anti hate kind of laws. So um, it's a bit complicated because you can't see how it will play out until it's adopted and say like we've seen in the US there are those legal cases where that kind of have to balance laws that are anti-discrimination and um, anti like you know like queer and religious discrimination bills might coexist in a state um, but they have to be kind of sorted out in a court of law about which one kind of trumps the other this bill would sort of, um, it would challenge protections for queer people in New South Wales is the problem. So it would allow people to discriminate on the grounds of religion yeah. of, um, in employment, education and service delivery, um, hamper efforts to foster kind of inclusive cultures. Um, it would, um, so it sort of makes this really easy path for religious people to um to kind of use that as leverage yeah it's like a, it's like a get out of jail free card basically yeah it's not like it's not um foolproof but i think what would happen is that you'd get a lot of cases where it it just might occur and then if someone doesn't want to take it to court, they're just discriminated against and they can't do anything about it. Like a queer person who maybe doesn't have the money or the time to go to court over something like that. Yeah. So I think it would allow more discrimination, but it's hard to say when it's in the draft phase. The New South Wales government is considering introducing its own law 
um, and passing that. So it would be very similar, but it would have more detail than the One Nation bill. Um, so yeah, that's that's my worry, is that he's doing this for publicity to make himself look good with queers, and then he's trying to slide this one in, yeah. make himself look good with the religious and the conservatives, and hope that the queers don't notice it. So that's what I, that's my, like, feeling. Yeah. We notice it. We notice it, Verite. We're not letting it, we're not gonna shut up about it. Yeah, I hope we don't, like, I think yeah. that's something that um, the news doesn't do well, because we don't specialize too well and we don't have like analysts being like um like drawing those parallels and seeking comment about um that stuff and how it kind of crosses over yeah it's yeah it's this whole it's just a whole god politics is such a web ain't it (laughs) yeah it it is (laughs) It's it's all just it just it's all so entangled and it's just like why can't we just have a nice politician that just wants to help people and not make money and appease everyone just like uh, mm-hmm. God it's tiring it's just I'm not like, going to stop fighting over a eh, but it's tiring this might seem like apparently to so many people this is a very contentious issue but if your belief harms someone else mm. it can. It, it doesn't matter. Just chuck it. Get it out of here. Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Irrelevant. Like, if your belief hurts some, is if your belief is encouraging or allows people to get hurt, then it's it should be left in the dust. Like, yeah. Like you should be you should be free to practice like mm. whatever you believe. You should also be free to love whoever you want and identify however you want. We're all just people at this point, and it's just like, how does being queer? affect your religious belief and who is historically oppressive in in this situation anyway catholics or christians so i I think that we need a bit more nuanced analysis when we read stuff like this and i just wanted to put it out there that we should be wary if any of those topics distressed or concerned you please call qlife at 1-800-184-527 or go to Lifeline one eight, uh, or call Lifeline one three double one one four. Welcome back to Loud and Queer on Sin. You're here with Bailey and Liz. Uh, now we're going to jump into our froth or not for the week. Um, hope we've got some more good, some good stuff to share with one another. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Bailey, what was your froth for this week? My froth was a, a pretty good one. Um, I was driving around last week and I caught this uh, interview on the ABC with Courtney Act. Um, Courtney is a um, drag queen who was on RuPaul's Drag Race. So Courtney is the drag queen persona and uses she pronouns, um, but like her name is Shane when um, not in drag and uses he pronouns, but um, sees gender and sexuality as quite fluid. Um, And yeah, so the ABC just like interviewed her for um, her new book. It's called Caught in the Act, which I think is really cute. Um, 
and I'm not like incredibly into drag and I'm not incredibly I actually really don't like RuPaul's Drag Race um barring like some of the funny like memes and gifs that come out of it but um yeah I just thought her interview was really insightful and like he did a really good job at explaining a lot of like uh ways that gender and sexuality like I think um use the phrase like tease out um definitions and things and I liked that she kind of emphasized allowing people to explore like fluidity but also um that labels are okay like kind of having that room for both that like you don't have to have like a specific label or specific um gender identity or sexuality but you can also just use a label that you enjoy like and go as like in-depth on that as you want and yeah I just I really enjoyed the interview and I recommend people checking it out yeah what about you what's your fuck this week uh well again it's also kind of small Mm -hmm. as well like obviously like work started back for me now so it's good to be back to work you know getting paid oh yeah (laughs) um but it's a small thing because last night because for this currently like batch of work I mainly work on the weekends at this point um I do closing shifts mm. at work so currently I've been having like really late like 12 15 a.m shift e- ending mm. so very late so getting home at like ungodly yeah. times um but when I got home I found out that one of my sisters had found a, a hemonite rock and had given it to me which is like a really cool rock oh, so cool. I've got another rock now which is really a new cool. rock I love yeah let me I'm taking my camera on for cool. a sec so you can see it. It's a small one, but it's pretty. Oh, no, it's so pixelated. It's, like, <laughs> oh, no. kind of bluey black and uh, shiny. Yeah, it's it. Yeah, it's like a silvery sort of colour. It's nice. really pretty. Yeah, which, so that was definitely a froth for me because, like, I've never been one for collecting rocks, but when your sister gives you a rock, Absolutely. you No, I, um, I had a pretty good gemstone collection um that I was building when I was really into wicker <laughs> as a teen which is a bit yeah. embarrassing but also I'm proud of it like I'm so proud of my weird teen phases because like oh, no, yeah but I I think my favorite one um I had volcanic rock which was really cool I think they called it dragonite Ooh. to be you know fantasy-ish um Dramatic. yeah and I then it. I had another one um what was what's really cool one? I really liked citrine. I really liked rose quartz. Um, I had this cool like speckled purpley one that I can't, I can never remember the name of that. I think it's called rhodochrosite. Um, yeah, Ooh. no, I love it. I love that for you, and I'm happy you have your cool rock. <laughs> Do you have any knots this week? Uh admittedly, I've got a pretty good one. Well, pretty bad one, I guess is the way. Um, I ax- I'm i going to keep it um, vague because, like, I'd rather obviously not be getting graphic on the show and everything. But to sum it up, I really, really badly cut my nail when I was shaving oh, in the no. shower. And that's about as far as I'm going to go into it. It was not a fun time. Ouch. I'm so sorry. How's it holding up? It's all right. I got a bandaid over it just to kind of keep it compressed right now. It's kind of okay now, but like nerves is just keeping me keeping it compressed just for the 
Yeah. You don't want to be bleeding <laughs> out of your finger. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Well, it's not bleeding now or anything. Thankfully, like in in the shower, mm. I was gonna pass out. I'm not gonna lie, I was this close. I was freaking oh, out. Apologies if anyone found that rather graphic or Probably upsetting. Graphic. That's, That's fine. Yeah. Either way, but like, still, I apologize. But that was my definite. That was my one not for Fair this enough. week. Fair enough. Um, my not is just work and like cranky people. <laughs> um, Fair enough. Yeah, I'm on duty this week, which means I work, like, in the evenings and on weekends if there are, like, stories to follow up or things to photograph. Um, And so I had, like, four jobs yesterday, and at three of them, people were rude to me. Um, Or they, like, didn't work out exactly how they meant to. And so I was just really annoyed because I was like, I came here, I've been working for, like, 12 hours. Yeah, just give you give you a poor break. Mm-hmm. And I just like you know leaving um leaving customer service. I was like, this is my chance. I don't have to take crap anymore. <laughs> and now people still do it to me. I think the only like upshot of that is that people treat me with more authority because I've got like the news logo on me on my like shirt, and I've got like the professional camera, and I'm like a little bit in charge. So like this kind of way people used to treat me for being quiet or reserved or like um young I I think it's like obfuscated a little bit Mm. by being authoritative but at the same time they still I think if they're intimidated and they refuse to be intimidated or they have an ego then they come back and and double down on that weird respect thing on that note, if any of you guys have any uh, terrible customers or people that you've talked to that you want to vent to us about, vent it, vent it to us at Loud and Queer on Instagram and Twitter. <laughs> and you're listening to Bailey and Liz on Loud and Queer. Welcome back to Loud and Queer on Sin. You just listened to um, Alta by Kelani. We absolutely love her. Absolute queen. Um... <laughs> But yeah, if today we basically just did our froth or not, um, we had a bit of a look into and our own opinions on the New South Wales inquiry, inquiry that will be coming out soon. Um, we also had a bit of talk about the uh, Green Hand Common Peace Camp and also, of course, our news whip. Um, if anything that we talked about, like, interest you or anything, feel free to reach out to us on our socials. That's um, at, that's at sinloud at synloud on instagram or twitter or loud and clear on facebook um you can also listen to the you can also listen to this podcast and any of our previous podcasts um on any of your major podcast streaming services that would include omi stitcher spotify or apple music thank you so much uh for coming along for the ride with us today we had a really good time and um hope you enjoyed some of those deep dives we did um, you can listen to the songs we've played on the show on the Loud and Queer Mixtape 2021 if you loved any of these bangers or if you're listening to the podcast and you didn't get to hear them. Um, next week, we're doing a very exciting interview with electronic artist Prudence. Yeah, so um, they're going to be joining both of us and that's quite exciting because I think we don't often get to do interviews together. Um, tune in for that next Sunday at 3pm on uh, 90.7 FM or sin.org.au where you can stream 
the show live and explore all of the good offerings Sin has. Really hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening to Loud and Queer.